Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Yes, we're back for 2019, so uh, after, after everyone on the, on the show has had a wonderful five weeks off, um, I hope all our listeners have kept uh, nice and safe and healthy over Christmas, had a wonderful Christmas New Year and uh, now we're all ready to get stuck into our gardens and uh, enjoy the year. Um, first up, I have to say a very good morning to A.B. Bishop. Morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, Pam, and goodbye, Pam. I've got to go home and water the garden. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's going to be a hot It's a bit one. like that, isn't it? It, it is. It just feels like they haven't bothered rolling the hoses up. Yep. They just There's stay no out. There's absolutely no point, and... Um, getting much, um, much fewer swear words dragging the hose around the garden. I think I'm getting used to it now. It's, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's the bane of my life. And, and if there's something a millimetre high, the hose will get caught on it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, no, it's um, definitely been um, a, a summer, an unusual summer for the amount of watering that we've very, been needing to do. Very. So, but, uh, yes, it's, um, that's what I'll be doing when I get home. Yeah. And of course, of course, if you've got anything in pots, I mean, they dry out so quickly, oh, more than the, your garden beds. That's so true. And, and working now, as I do at um, Karanga Nursery part-time, I'm really learning the nuances of watering. It's fantastic. But, I mean, yesterday, for example, we watered uh, twice. And there have been occasions that we've been watering three times during the day. And I'm not uh, yeah, surprised. Yeah, and it is really teaching me um, what to look for. You know, if you can, tip the plant out of the pot and have a look at the roots and see if it's actually saturated through. I mean, a lot of us have got bigger pots and we can't do that. But sometimes you think you've watered and it mm. hasn't leached through it's all parts of the, the pot. It's run down the sides. Yep. And, yeah, so, and so it's learning about you don't necessarily give it more water, but you might water more often, water mm. less but more often. Mm. 
So it's, yeah, it's interesting. It is very interesting. <laughs> the art of watering. Absolutely. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to James Beatty. Morning, James. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everyone. And how was your Christmas New Year? Very good, very good. Very um, very sensible, yeah, for a change. Sensible? What? Yeah, we don't yeah. want to hear that. I know, I know. I'm disgusted. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, look, the watering thing with what's happening at the moment with summer, it is so incredibly dry mm. and... Um, one of the things that I've been finding that I've had to do um, at least maybe once every couple of weeks or so, I've got little pots of strut cuttings that I'm growing on that are, you know, ready for planting out in the in the autumn time in my front borders. And I've been finding that every couple of weeks to make sure that that potting mix is saturated and wet, I've actually got to go and dunk them to get my little trug and I fill it with water. Yep. And I sit all the pots in the water for half an hour just to make sure it's all thoroughly saturated. Yeah. Because then when you do water from overhead with your hose from that point on, um, you make sure that, that that water actually penetrates the potting mix because once potting mix dries out, it becomes really water-repeating. It does. Yeah. 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 And you've really got to do that re-wetting thing to get yep. it all working properly again. And it's just it's critical. It really is. Oh, it is. And taking your cue from the plants as they're growing in the pots as well, that's that's great advice. You know, They'll always tell you if they need something. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, if they are wilting, it doesn't necessarily mean the death knell, does it? It, no. d- it just means yeah. they need a bit of water and so water them in the Lacking a bit of turga. That, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, James, for that scientific explanation. <laughs> it's a word I quite like to break every now and again. Yeah, yeah. We also must say a very good morning to Chloe Foster. Morning, Chloe. Good morning, Pam and everyone. I knew water was going to be the theme of the day today. It's so dry. I was watering my veggie garden this morning, and while I do love the veggie garden, it needs so much water for you mm. to get good veggies and it drives mm. me nuts. Yeah. I'm sick of watering. Yeah. yeah. But it's really nice having tomatoes and other yummy foods to pick from the garden. So well, oh well. Yeah, it's totally it's totally worth it. Really. Yeah, yeah, it is totally <laughs> worth it. <laughs> yeah. I emptied the tank just before um, we got some rain a few days ago. So yeah. the tank got filled again so I can Excellent. drain yeah, it nice. again. Fantastic. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I um I installed irrigation in my front garden towards the end of um, right. winter of last year and uh, that has been a godsend this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. It's, it was the first year in my front borders that I'd never watered from overhead. I'd usually just, you know, water from overhead with the hose, a but we're having, having drip irrigation mm-hmm. down at ground level. The difference it makes to the health of growth mm-hmm. in plants mm-hmm. as well is really astronomical, really. When, you're not, when you're not wetting you're not that foliage every couple of days, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just... It's brilliant. It's, it's excellent. Do you reckon you're saving more water by... Absolutely. Mm, yeah, using yeah. Drip. Are you connected to a tank? Um, we actually rain? don't have tanks. It's kind yeah. of sacrilegious and heretical for, <laughs> for okay. a gardener not to have a water tank. But yeah, we'll we, still we, talk we, to we, you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have much room for a tank. Then, no, yeah. we don't. Yeah, yeah. I've only, I've only got a little tank, so I I use what I can from that, and yeah, the rest is mains water. But yep. Um, yeah. One, one of the things I've, I've been saying to my other half, Michael, when he's been watering, because he has this tendency when he uses the hose to just turn it on full blast and give everything a bit of a squirt for like five or ten seconds. <laughs> mm. And I've been going to him, low and slow, Michael, low and slow. <laughs> like, put the hose on very lightly and leave it in one spot for yep. a little while. You know, even, even you know, when, when I'm watering the back garden, I don't have irrigation out the back, but when I'm watering the back garden, I'll have the hose on really, really, really slowly and I'll actually leave it in one spot for half an hour and I'll just leave it in one spot and I'll go away and do something else mm. while that little patch is being watered and then I'll go and move mm. it then. Because when you do the, the full blast thing and, you know, flip your way around the garden really quickly, you may it as well not work. water at all. No, it exactly. doesn't work as well. Mm. That's I mean, why I, yeah. the hoses that have, like, the shower rose hose <laughs> heads are really good because mm. 
it's a bit slower and it just you get a better soaking of the plants mm, as opposed yeah. to like the trigger mm. the trigger hoses. I've got a trigger hose and it kind of drives me nuts because I don't think that it doesn't soak it properly. Yeah, right. I have to stand there for longer. Yeah. And I'm sick of standing there for longer. I got really creative <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and I put I have a trigger hose and my old Hills Hoist washing line is out the back where the veggie garden is. I clicked the the heels the trigger hose onto <laughs> the washing line. That was brilliant. <laughs> Turned the hose on. I put it on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is so good because I am so sick of standing there with the hose, yeah. just watering the veggie garden. So I turned the hose on, on on the washing line, and it's like a beautiful sprinkler. And I bet the birds enjoyed it too. They did. Yeah. Yep. And the butterflies were coming around too. They were sort of going in and out of the the shower. They were having a little shower. That's one of the things that we don't think about with water very often, I reckon, is that insects particularly exactly. do like a bit of a drink in the Oh, yeah, yep. oh, they and do. I, yep. put out, yep. I put out little bowls of water and things, yep. you know, under under the shade uh, when it's when it's a hot day, and yeah. invariably lots of butterflies, lots of bees yep. um, turning up as well. Yeah, the yeah. bees were around mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, it was really cool. Well, I spent um, much of Australia Day on the river, just languidly sort of rolling up and down with my boogie board and I noticed there were heaps of butterflies actually darting in and getting a sip of water I've oh, never wow. seen that before I didn't right. see so like I bomb did diving that. the water bomb diving yeah. the water coming down for a sip and, and taking off again I've, yeah it was quite incredible I've seen birds do it of course but yeah never never seen butterflies was that on the Yarra River it was yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that was lovely oh, but yeah it, I mean it takes us probably over two hours to, to water the garden yeah. and I mean mm. we've got obviously mostly natives and, and indigenous so ideally we don't water mm. but I've got a few new plants in and they they're needing yep. a bit of a help it's, through summer it's the new plants that need the water my yeah. established plants I haven't really watered but it's like the veggies and the, and the new plants that mm. that really need it mm. like they really need to be looked after for the first couple of summers mm. and then uh, for me they're on their own yeah but yeah, it's I, the I've newbies. even been watching the established plants. I think they've had two over summer, just to yeah. give them a bit of a helping totally. hand and the couriers, and they really appreciate it. Yeah, they do, and I'm sure yeah. the rabbits do that are hiding underneath as well. You <laughs> <laughs> get their weekly bath. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to get to some community announcements because uh, surprise, surprise, there are things taking place in the next few weeks. Um, first up. Uh, Chesterfield have got their Open Garden and Heirloom Tomato Fair on today. It's at 221 Noble Street in Newtown. Uh, now, general entry is from 10 a.m. through to 4.30. Uh, and uh, entry $10, uh, students $5, under 18 are free for that one. So there'll be lots of activities out there, lots of uh, Tomato tastings, all things tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes at that uh, fair today. Uh, also, uh, starting off for the new year, um, the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society uh, have got their first general meeting coming up on February the 9th, and that meeting is all going to be all about um, hostas, care and diversity of, of the group, uh, a selection of rare and unusual hostas for sale on the day, and uh, Robert uh, Dodds will, will be the speaker, uh, and he's entitled his talk, Fifty Shades of Hostas. <laughs> Saucy. <laughs> yes, very. <laughs> so the meeting starts at uh, 2 o'clock in the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society Hall up there at Fernie Creek. Uh, also um, at, up at Cloud Hill... They've been running a series of events in the gardens over the Christmas New Year period. They've got uh, 
Three more events coming up, and in fact we're going to be talking to Jeremy a little later in the show about these uh, these uh, events that are still taking place, so I won't go into full details, but just a reminder that firstly, um, Evergreen Ensemble are presenting A Night in Brittany on Saturday the 9th of February. Cost adults $30, under 16s $20. Uh, then coming up on Saturday, 23rd of February, Latitude 37, uh, a playing a concert, adults $35, under 16s $25. And finally, uh, Saturday, the 9th of March, um, Riley Lee will uh, be playing music of the Shakuhachi. And again, uh, costs will be adults $45, under 16s $35. So we'll, uh, as I mentioned, we'll talk to... Um, Jeremy, a little later about uh, some of the details of those uh, three events that remain over this uh, Christmas New Year holiday period. Now, uh, coming up at Melton Botanic Gardens, they've got a guided walking tour coming up. Now, this is on Sunday the 10th of February, uh, 10am through till noon. Uh, John Bentley suggests arriving about 945 you meet at the depot, which is 21 William Street in Melton. Uh, you do need to uh, book. You can either phone 9743-3819 and leave a message if it's unattended, or you can um, email friends at fmbg.org.au. Uh, you can go to their website. Uh, for more details, which is fmbg.org.au. And a reminder, too, that the nursery out there will be open from 10 through to 1 p.m. that day so that you can uh, purchase some, uh, some plants that, uh, that really like this, uh, this dry uh, climate. So uh, that's uh, coming up 10th, Sunday the 10th. It should be a wonderful chance to, uh, to view Melton Botanic Gardens and... Uh, how it's developed um, since uh, they they installed it all. Yeah, that was one of the things about Melton Botanic Gardens, wasn't it? They're, they've is it they only plant things that are going to survive on their natural rainfall, and I think Melton gets like 400 mil a year. It's yes, less than exactly. five. It's definitely less than 500. Yeah. so yeah. it's something very paltry, really. Yes. Um, so if they're selling plants that they're growing in the gardens and they're doing well, yeah, yeah they exactly. absolutely will cope well with a bit of water deficit. That's exactly. Sure. Yeah. So the walk's going to take about 90 minutes. It's going to be followed by a free morning tea. Um, so if you're really wanting to know what to uh, plant. Uh, that will tolerate the dry, that would definitely be one to go to. Now, um, also uh, coming up, uh, and again, this is uh, the 10th of February, Sunday the 10th of February, uh, there is going to be the Summer Grafting and Tree Sales Day by Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. I've been away too long. <laughs> <laughs> didn't do your voice exercises. <laughs> no, I didn't, did I? Um, anyway, <laughs> suffice. I'm sure we'll get back into the swing of it. Um, so there's going to be uh, lots to eat and drink. There's going to be, um, you can watch grafting, budding demonstrations, which are ongoing throughout the day. Um, you can learn techniques for grafting or budding fruit trees at home. You can have new trees grafted or budded for you. Uh, that's a ch it'll be a choice su subject to availability between apples, peaches, pears, plums and more. Uh, you can buy one-year-old grafted heritage fruit trees when they're available. You can buy heritage fruit uh, tree scion wood for home grafting. 
talk to experts uh, in gardening and fruit growing. You can select suitable rootstocks for your um, particular garden requirements. Uh, there'll be rare and unusual edible plants for sale and fruit tastings, what, uh, depending on what's in season. And uh, subject to availability, there'll also be some pruning demonstrations, orchard tours and edible weed walks. Now, it's all taking place down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. Uh, enter via, no, you go uh, K Road at Werribee and then you enter via Gate 5. Follow the signs uh, to the Gathering Day Visitors Car Park and uh, take a short walk to the old stable. So you enter Gate 5, follow the signs to the Day Visitors Car Park and take a short walk to the stables there for that one. Now, uh, times are 10 a.m. through to 3 p.m. And the best thing is, it's free entry. So there we go. Now, also coming up, Sunday 10th of February is going to be a very busy, busy day. day, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, the, next, uh, the next talk is going to be uh, held on that day down at the uh, Australian Garden Auditorium, Cranbourne Gardens. Uh, this is entitled Island Hopping in the Galapagos in the Footsteps of Darwin. The talk is being given by Lindsay Poor. Now, Lindsay has come onto the program a couple of times here, so she's well known to our listeners. Lindsay, of course, is a guide at the Royal Botanic Gardens, uh, Melbourne Gardens. Um, her passions are gardening and botany, and she is a frequent uh, speaker on gardens and travel to a wide range of audiences in Melbourne. So... Uh, the uh, cost, adults $25, students $10. Um, the morning will begin from 11am with your choice of tea or coffee and a cake or a slice and then the talk will start at 11.30. Uh, now, um, you do need to book. Um, booking is via the uh, website for Royal Botanic Gardens. So you go to RBG Friends Cranburn, all one word, .org.au and uh, book on that website. If you'd like more information, you can phone our good friend Roger Elliott and his number is 0448-013-892. So that's 0448-013-892. Okay, just uh, a couple more that I should mention. Friends of Burnley Gardens um, have got their annual St Valentine's Day dinner in the Burnley Gardens and uh, the uh, speaker is going to be David Daly from Conifer Gardens Nursery. Now this of course takes place on Thursday the 14th of February, St Valentine's Day, 5.30 for the dinner, 7.30 for the talk. Um, you meet at the long table under the fabulous new Wisteria Arbor and follow the signs. Um, so, of course, this is down at Burnley College, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond, 5.30 for the dinner, um, and that's uh, at the Wisteria Arbor, and then 7.30 for the talk, which will be at uh, meeting room 11 in the main building. Now, the meal and talk is $30 for members, $40 for non-members. If you just want to come for the talk, $10 members, $20 non-members, Bookings, of course, are essential. And uh, if you're coming to the dinner, you do need to book by Friday the 8th of February. So just remember that. And to, uh, to book, 
um, you need to go to their website again. Uh, and I don't seem to have that. Friends of Burnley Gardens, where are we? Um, fobg.org.au. There you go. And follow the prompts to get to the booking for that one. All right. Now, due to the popular um, tour that Open Gardens Victoria put on at the end of last year, they are rerunning um, the tour of behind-the-scenes uh, food gardens of Melbourne. Uh, so it's a whole-day tour uh, in partnership with Victoria's Sustainable Living Festival for 2019, uh, which does run for the month of February. It's uh, being uh, led by our good friend Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. Now, you start at William Anglis Institute in the city. Karen will discuss the model productive rain garden that she designed there to teach students how to grow, harvest and use a variety of plants in their catering. Then the tour will visit Gunya, which is Karen's own garden. Uh, then from there, they will explore community gardens in Brunswick, um, and then heading off to um, a visit to the Siciliano family's uh, six-acre Rose Creek estate out in uh, Keylor. And the final stop will be Day's Walk Farm, where organic food is grown and then sold weekly at the nearby Preston Market. Uh, now, the tour commences at 9am at the William Anglis Institute. That's at 550 Little Lonsdale Street in Melbourne. The tour returns back to William Anglis at 5.30. Cost is $150. This includes guided coach tour of the five food gardens, expert speakers at each venue, morning tea, lunch and afternoon tea provided, illustrated tour notes provided, and you need to book via Open Gardens Victoria website, which is opengardensvictoria.org.au for that one. So that's all coming up on Saturday, 16th of February, um, because uh, it, was, it proved to be so popular end of last year that they are running uh, the whole thing again. Uh, just one more that I should mention now. This is one for the diaries. This isn't taking place till later in February, but um, the, uh, the first uh, garden that will be open for Open Gardens Victoria will be a bee-friendly cottage garden uh, opening 23rd and 24th of February. Um, it's called Holly Cottage and it's a pretty perennial garden in the hills of Alinda. And I'll give uh, further details of that as we get closer to that one. But that's just a, a little reminder for the diary. 23rd and 24th of February for their first uh, garden opening for the year. Okay, well, it's high time we opened our talkback lines if you've been sitting on a burning question over the Christmas New Year <laughs> while we haven't been here... Not literally, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> feel, free, feel free to call us. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. We have AB, Chloe and James in the studio this morning. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Doug on the outside line, that number there is 94198377. Hey, B, you've brought in heaps of things. Let's make a little start. Okay, let's make a start. So I have 
what I'm holding now... I was hoping you are going to talk about that first. (laughs) You know what it is, don't you, Chloe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm holding a um, basically a raceme of uh, seed pods, which uh, Liz has put up on Facebook, so I don't need to be overly descriptive. (laughs) But you should test out your descriptive skills. I should test out my descriptive skills. Not everyone's on Facebook, Yes, That that is true. Okay, so um, (laughs) I did cut this stem. The stem was probably over a metre tall and um, it holds on it uh, probably about 12 or so uh, flower seed pods and the plant um, is the uh, Dietes Robinsoniana or the Lord Howe Island Wedding Lily. Okay. And um, it's not a plant that I have seen very often at all. Um, I don't know if you guys, Chloe would be aware of it. I wasn't familiar with it until I started carrying it, but I've seen it around since. Yeah, so it is such a beautiful plant. Um, So I've put photos, or Liz has put photos up of the plant in situ at work. And um, it is, as the name suggests, from Lord Howe Island. And uh, it, it grows in very exposed conditions. Uh, so we know, and we know coming from Nord Howe Island, it's really good for uh, as uh, a coastal plant. So it's fine uh, along the coast, uh, fine on sandy soil. But uh, where we have got it planted at work, it's in um, the um, sort of Mount Evelyn clay soil and um, is going absolute great guns. It's got quite um, sword-like foliage, I suppose you'd say, and pro- quite bright green uh, to the height of about, I don't know, probably 60, 80 centimetres, the foliage. And it's sort of quite contained, like the whole plant itself would be maybe just over a metre wide, but it's quite upright. And then uh, through summer it has these long stalks of white flowers. Now, each of the flowers don't last very long. They might last a day and a half, two days, but there's quite a few that come onto each stem. And then on the plant itself, there was probably probably about six stems. So it ended up having lots and lots of flowers. So we, a lot of gardeners know uh, the Dietes bicolor, which is mm. yes, used extensively yeah, on roundabouts and all sorts. <laughs> completely overplanted. It's like the diosma of the iris world. <laughs> it, is, it, it is in it the is. iris family. That's Dietes grandiflora as well. Just, just as popular. Absolutely. Yeah. So is it, yeah. is it as tough as those two? Yeah. Oh, it is yeah. so tough. Like okay. this plant, it's not meant to <coughs> tolerate cold. When I did a bit of reading on it, saying it doesn't tolerate cold. But as we know, Mount Evelyn, we get mm. frost after frost mm. during winter. And it's really wet up there all year round. There's like a constant mist and it Absolutely. still does all right. And it doesn't look like it's been suffering from any sort of dampness. Yeah, yeah. And and it's the only Australian dietes, I think there's something like six species of dietes and most are from South Africa. Mm. And so it is quite unusual that yeah. yeah plant from South Africa and one's ended up um, in the Australasian region. Uh, but super tough plant mm. and it's so structural and architectural and we've got it sort of as part of a mixed border bed uh, but it would look just as amazing as as a single plant by itself or you know framing a walkway or something like that it's yeah there, yeah there are some planted at the zoo in a couple of sections sort of um on mass with a couple of lophostum and 
mm-hmm. the Queensland brush box trees around, and they're re- they're just really lush and green. Yeah. And people don't think that about Australian plants. Yeah, mm. they're f- yeah, it's a fantastic plant. They're so tough. Yeah, so they're really that, tough. So it's Dietes robinsoniana, or the Lord Howe Island wedding it lily. It does look like a regular <laughs> Dietes, but on steroids and way prettier. <laughs> it does. And yeah. the flower yeah. is a beautiful, Sold. perfect white. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is a perfect white with a little dot of yellow. Yeah. On each uh, tepal. It's, uh, they're actually not petals. We think they're petals, but they're mm. actually tepals, which mm. is sort of a bit of a cross between a, a petal and it's a sepal. It's a fused mm. petal so, and sepal, I think. So. Well, it's when you can't tell the difference between the, whether it's a petal or a, or a sepal. Like, right. will it a tepal? Okay. So, yeah, they're tepals, but, yeah. And like a lot of those kind of large, strappy things in the iris family, do they propagate easy from seed? They do, yeah. 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 Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I think you yeah. could probably divide it. I think James, it James eyeing the seeds. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. I... Well, you can certainly take that, James. <laughs> In fact, I, I asked Evan, oh, do you mind if I cut a stem to take into the radio? And he's got heaps of seed already, so he was completely yeah, fine. Right. Do you but reckon yeah, you'd do. cut that a bit too prematurely? Oh, if I wanted to say for safety. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, they're still t- far too green. Um, so sorry, James. You'll have to just wait. keep your iron at work and <laughs> yeah, yeah. put some in your pocket yeah, for James. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's one which uh, I think is it should be used more. Yes, yes. and good be. value over a long season as well. Like the like the exotic deities that people plant around Melbourne. Um, you know, you get you get the flowers which are generally you know relatively short lived, mm. but then you get the you get the seed capsules emerging on the inflorescence. That's right, and they look yeah, they absolutely yeah. look ornamental yeah. as well. So yeah, I'd say. And I don't know, it's just, we don't water it at all in the display beds at work. Mm-hmm. So it's just surviving. I mean, there is slightly higher rainfall in Mount Evelyn uh, to much of Melbourne. But, yeah, it just does its thing and looks amazing. That particular one at Karanga is about five metres from the Alinda Creek. So, like, it gets pretty wet there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Considering it's from Lord Howe on a coastal environment, it's mm. doing really well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, another one. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> I have decided um, ferns to me are a little bit of a mystery and a sort of a homogenous mass of green in my brain. Yeah, I'm with uh, you. Apart, <laughs> apart from like tree ferns or something. And, and at work we've got this incredible fernery that uh, Liz Devlin looks after and, and manages and uh, makes look amazing. And, and then customers come to me and they say, oh, you know, I'd like some expert information uh, in the fernery. I'm like, well, I can give you some information. I don't know how expert it's going to be. So I, I've decided to actually knuckle down and, and start teaching myself about ferns. And the two that I've brought in today are actually indigenous to my area. Mm. Okay, so that's I'm good. Excellent. So you can plant them. You uh, can go crazy. Well, I'm going to have them in pots still. Yeah, okay. and, and both of these are suitable for pot plants, suitable as container plants and um, potentially even inside as well, mm. uh, given the right conditions, not to not direct sun, blah, blah, all those sorts of things. Don't put it next to a heater or air conditioner. Yep, yep. And do, do they have weedy potential? No, so this absolutely because not. Because some firm, firm oh, can they do, and mm. and this one that I brought in is the uh, fishbone water fern, which is the uh, Blechnum nudum, and uh, it does look like the very weedy Nephrolepis mm. fishbone fern. So it has that look, the um, quite long pinnate foliage, um, bright green. 
but it's um, yeah, it, it it doesn't mind doesn't mind drying out. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of these ferns, as I'm discovering, do prefer. So, I mean, they're understory plants. They yep. grow in areas where it might be slightly boggy because they like that moisture, uh, but don't necessarily need don't necessarily need a lot of moisture. So at this particular plant, this Blechnum nudum, is found everywhere in Australia except for West Australia and Northern Territory. But um, I have got the incredible, fantastic book, which I know you guys will know and love as well, yeah. and that's The Flora of Melbourne by Marilyn Bull, uh, <laughs> with drawings by uh, George uh, Stolfo. And this, uh, is, I mean, it really is a Bible. And oh, yes, the, yeah. the reason why it's such an important book for, for Melbourne uh, gardeners is because it's broken up into suburbs, essentially. So you can, what I've done is I've gone through, um, Bend of Islands is number 94 in the suburb <laughs> list, and I have just gone through. And, and for each plant, like there's every Melbourne plant listed in yeah. here. And it says exactly in what which suburbs it that is a, such actually a good grows. Idea. That's and great. I've, yep. I've just gone through and I've highlighted all the plants that come from Bend of Islands. So when I'm looking to, if I want a particular plant that does something particular, I just go straight to my flora of Melbourne. Like mm. I, uh, this is my absolute bible. So I'm I'm going to read out the suburbs around Melbourne that this blechnum actually occurs naturally in. Uh, so besides uh, my suburb, which is Bend of Islands, it's Sylvan Upway Berwick, Yarra Valley Parklands, Warrandyte, Research, Doreen, Greensboro, Montrose, Mount Evelyn, the Basin, all across the Dandenong Ranges, Officer Cranburn, Frankston and Langwarren. So it, I mean, is it, it, is it along creek lines in those areas? It, it's, it, it's in wet eucalyptus forest and, yeah, sort of riparian Yep. Riparian okay. zones, absolutely. So, because I, I obviously where I am, I have to plant indigenous. Um, but a lot of people, I think, also, I mean, they're coming into the nursery and they're starting to figure out, yeah, we want to plant more indigenous mm. specifically. And um, I just, yeah, didn't consider all the ferns that, that we've oh, actually got yeah. in our area. So, yeah, this one, the fishbone water fern. But as I say, I'm going to keep it in a, in a container. Um, one of the interesting things about this plant and the other fern that I brought in um, is the, um, the fronds, uh, some fronds are sterile and uh, some fronds are the reproducing fronds, whereas in, in most ferns, all, all the fronds are the reproducing mm. areas, but oh, these yep. ones have got fronds <laughs> with, with spores and then fronds without mm. spores, so pretty interesting. And when yeah. they do produce those fertile fronds that do produce the spores, they look quite different to the usual growth, don't they? They it's do, quite absolutely. It is, yeah. Chucking up a bit of, you know, sexual reproductive stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks very different to the rest of the plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is interesting. So, as I say, it is a whole new world to me, the ferns, mm. but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, starting to get an eye for the the, um, the different foliage, I suppose. Mm. It's a good place to start, so start small of the ferns that are in your area, because that's the right. fern world is huge. It's and so it's big. So big. And there's yep. so many exotic ferns that are available as well that starting locally is yep. a really good place to start. Yep. And then mm. you can it's narrowed it down for Yeah, me. it has. Yeah. Less Absolutely. overwhelming. Yeah. 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 Have you got ferns at all in your garden? I've got, uh, I had one indigenous fern that lasted several years in my front garden and yep. then it turned up its toes two summers ago mm-hmm. when it was very hot and dry. But um, Terrace Tremula was the one that I used to grow. Um, it's more like a... Looks quite similar to bracken, okay. more yep. similar oh, to right. bracken kind of growth habit, but yep. more clumping rather mm-hmm. than running. 
Um, and that did really well for a couple of years, actually. Common name, really like well. a break fan or something? Something like that. Yeah. Not and Terrace is P-T-E-R-I-S. yeah. Terrace Tremula. Like Ty Lotus. Yes. Annoying silent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But look, that that was a really garden-worthy plant in my garden for several years. Yeah. There you go. The, yeah, the tender, tend, the tender break. Yeah, that's yeah. actually indigenous to me as well, James. Right, there you yes, go. Yes, yeah. but yeah, that, in fact, I I recognise that from the bush. Mm. And uh, I think I got it from the um the Latrobe Indigenous Nursery oh, yeah. up at Latrobe University there. Yeah. Um, and they usually stock quite a good range of um of local stuff and local ferns as well. Mm. So yeah. Well, it has got me thinking because the rabbits completely ignore this in the bush. Yeah, right. Must must just be, I don't know, too, too, too harsh. Some of them are pretty, yeah. like when you touch them, they're pretty rough and like unpalatable yeah. perhaps yeah, for, for rabbits. But then rosemary sort of seems to me unpalatable as well. <laughs> Unless you chop it up and put it in a, in a casserole and then rabbits absolutely go crazy for it. So, But yeah, so I mean maybe once this hardens off a bit, maybe it would be one that I could put in the garden and yeah. the yeah. rabbits ignore it. Who knows? You can give it a wide berth. We worth a try. It would be. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I like it. I like the uh, potential for it as an indoor plant as well. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you said that, I thought. Mm. Yeah. We've recently um, put in a couple of skylights in the centre of our house, and we live in a California bungalow that was built in the 30s, and the centre bit of the house is just has dark. has been very dark, mm-hmm. and you know, so we finally thought we'll chuck a few we'll chuck a few um, skylights in, and we have, and um, we've started turning that bit of the house into an indoor garden now. So I'm buying <laughs> oh, off yeah. these birds going, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, well, we, you can't help, help yourself, can you? <laughs> no, I can't. More plants, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, well, I, I shall report back. And okay. the thing about um, ferns I've always found tricky as well is what potting mix to use because they need that quite sort of humus-rich mm-hmm. soil. Um, and, I, and it's the same as the, the bat plant that you gave me, which mm-hmm. I'm very happy to say, James, is still alive. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm very <laughs> impressed with myself. I'm like, I'm not killing this plant. It, has, it hasn't flowered yet, but it's, it's sort of, um, it's one of those plants which also, it needs that real humus-rich soil. And, it, mm. and you can't really find a potting mix that, that, that yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what so, do you do to beef it up? Well, I actually use a bit of... Um, Oh, now the name's going to elude me. Soil wetter? No, 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 no. Um, uh, Coir? Sphagnum moss. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So that's because that kind of pads it up a bit. Yeah, sphagnum or, or like coconut peat yeah. would mm. bulk yeah. it out a bit. If you yeah. mix it in with like a good quality potting mix would probably, a good quality potting mix that holds water that, yeah, it doesn't you know drown a plant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And and Probably as we were talking about with the watering, with all my indoor plants now, I've discovered they um, much healthier if I soak them in a bucket of water rather than watering them from the top because I was getting slight browning mm-hmm. on the leaves, mm. just on the tips of leaves. I mm-hmm. couldn't figure out what was going on, and uh, yeah, d- did a bit of research and strangely enough came up with yeah, so soaking them, giving so them a good soak. So I take mm. them into the bathroom, give them a bit of a shower, get the yep. dust off them. I am in a mud brick house. There's a lot of dust. Yes, and, I know. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> Pam knows. <laughs> and, and our bricks aren't even sealed, Pam, so you okay. can just imagine there's almost no point in dusting. But, yes, yep. so I take them in, give them a shower and, and give them a good soak and so, so much healthier than, mm. the, than they were before. Mm. So. Yep. Mm. Brilliant. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, we are back for 2019, uh, running through our usual time slot till 9.15. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning uh, or make a comment, uh, do feel free to phone in 
Uh, on air this morning, we have AB Bishop, Chloe Foster and James Beatty. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team. Or if you'd like to have a chat with Doug on the outside line, 94198377. James, let's get to something you brought in this morning. Uh, I've brought in a little selection of plants, just things that um, are looking good at this time of year and are looking good despite the awful weather, um, <laughs> despite the awful heat. You know. Yeah, typical summer. <laughs> even, even the days that we had where we were getting to 44 degrees, um, the stuff that I've brought in today had a little bit of a sulk, but then as soon as the sun went down yeah. and you know, disappeared mm. below the horizon, they it perked up straight mm. away yeah. again. Yeah. So Which is their way of protecting themselves, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's just exactly kind of right. Wilt and and you, we, you know, we touched on that when we first went on air. You said that, AB, and that's totally true. When, when plants wilt, there's, some people have a tendency to freak out a bit, mm. but it's mm. actually a, a long-evolved process by which they conserve water. And just because they wilt, it doesn't mean they're not going to recover. Mm. Um, so I think of things like zucchini and even my, my salvia lecantha, mm. which I, I don't have up there, but... It <laughs> <laughs> indoor plant. Indoor, indoor plant. Yeah. My salvia lecanthas, they, they droop and then give them a water. But one thing I should um, mention is... We don't necessarily want to water when it's above 35 degrees. Like you really want to mm. get in there when it's under that, so early morning or evening, yep. because plants, a lot of plants stop transpiring when yep. it gets above 35. Mm. So it, it doesn't matter if they're drooping, they mm. are not going to be taking up that water. You want, yeah, you can water them. It's not going to do anything yep. until the temperature drops and they yeah, start that whole process again. Mm. Absolutely. Um, sorry, so, James. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but... Um, I've had this in the garden for the first time this year, and it's a it's a cultivar of miscanthus. You know, a lot of people would be familiar with um, like the larger miscanthus sinensis cultivars, which mm-hmm. can get massive. Oh yes. Mm. Um, and I've got a, I've got a little you know front garden that's probably about four metres wide by you know ten metres long. It's not it's not a huge amount of space, and I desperately wanted miscanthus and and any of those. You know, more common, larger cultivars um, just wouldn't have cut the mustard because mm, they would have dominated. Too big. Yep. Yeah. Mm. But this is um, Miscanthus adagio, and it only gets to about maybe the flowers probably sit about 1.2 meters high, um, and similar kind of dense clumping foliage to the other Miscanthus, um, like Miscanthus sinensis and that kind of stuff. But again, not not as big, and will never get as big. So it's a really good miscanthus. It's it's not technically a dwarf or anything like that. It's just a smaller cultivar, but mm. it's a it's a really really good miscanthus for a for a smaller space. Mm. Um, and it's got um, it's got a kind of a middle green color, um, but the the midrib on the uh, on the leaf of it has a really nice kind of white um, white line to it and a bit of white detail. Um, it looks really good, and you know this time of year it's full of the it's full of the flowers, and you know the foliage is really starting to bulk out at this time of year as well. But then as soon as we get into autumn and we start to cool down, the foliage actually goes a really really lovely autumnal red colour. Mm, beautiful. Um, so it's it you get you get a long season of value out of it as a plant, and um, I really I really like it. They look really cool things. in the wind. They do. Yeah. Oh, yes. The way they dance about <laughs> mm. and, you know, it's just the slightest zephyr and they catch it and they really accentuate it and they're a really good plant for that yeah. as well. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Well, we've uh, online, we have uh, Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill Garden. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Pam. Now, how, how have your events gone over the Christmas New Year period, Jeremy? Well, so far so good. We yep. had a lot of fun with the... Um, 
uh, with Shakespeare with Ozak, and we had opera um, last weekend. Um, beautiful Saturday for opera, um, and uh, uh, one of those evenings with a little bit of um, sunset colour reflecting over the uh, low clouds. Oh, and perfect! Just mm. breathtaking. Yeah. And, and the, the singers were glorious. Right. Slight problem with a um, helicopter coming into land oh. during the, <laughs> the uh, one of the tenor uh, the tenors aria, his main aria. Oh, uh, he carried on manfully and and got a standing ovation at the end of it. But uh, the helicopter had been a little bit busy at the other end of Gippsland during the day. Yes, right, right. Mm. And how's how's the new sound shell? It's going pretty well. It's, I'm, I'm very pleased. Uh, it's, we've pulled it all apart at the moment, so it's, most of the time it's just meant to be a sort of interesting little structure in our theatre. Um, and and uh, during weddings we can do things and turn it into a wedding arbour, you see. Right. <laughs> Anything and everything, is, yep. it's all got to make sense. Somehow. Versatility. But but uh, for these events, then we we have a uh, back plate for it so it reflects the sound into the audience. Oh, great. Uh, and, um, um, and the ceiling just keeps off any, any weather from valuable instruments and... The next two groups we have coming do have lots of valuable instruments, so it's absolutely essential. Mm. Um, so, so tell us what's coming up. Yep. Uh, well, next uh, Saturday we have the Evergreen Ensemble, and two weeks later we have Latitude 37. They're actually two very similar groups. They're allied groups. They, uh, they're pinch-cut opera uh, people, and so they're period instrument um, specialists. And so, <laughs> meaning that they're playing instruments quite often two or three hundred years old. Mm. And um, and the Evergreen Ensemble have put together a program on uh, something which I've been trying to tease them, bully them into doing for ages because there's one or two members of the group have, uh, who worked with Alan Stavell in France. Now, Alan Stavell is an amazing musician from the 1970s. He's still kicking on, actually. He's pretty getting on a bit. Uh, he is famous for releasing um, Celtic Harp Renaissance, the music of Brittany, which just caused a sensation back in the 70s. We're <laughs> going back a long way here. Yes. But, uh, um, so they're actually putting together a, 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 a... We'll be listening to a program next Saturday on the music of Brittany. So it's Celtic music, but French Celtic music. Fantastic. Of, from two, three hundred years back. Um, uh, and, and, well, much older, really. The, the Celts go back two or three thousand years. And so it's it's amazing music, seriously amazing music. So the anyway, it's all happening next Saturday. Wonderful. And um, Latitude 37, well, blimey, they're, they're on the Radio National uh, ABC just about every second day at the moment. Yes, they're certainly getting a lot of recognition at the moment, aren't they? Yep. And um, finally, we have Riley Lee on March the 9th. So it's every two weeks from um, uh, from now on, basically. And Riley Lee, um, he... Uh, he's the, uh, the great Shakahji exponent uh, from Sydney and um, he used to have a local Shakahji uh, player Andrew McGregor but he's <laughs> he's retired oh yeah. has he? it takes a lot of effort to play the Shakahji no he's, 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 no, he's leaving it to younger blokes okay okay <laughs> and, and he's, he's gone to the beach to retire but Riley Lee um, well um, he, he's, he's kind of more or less the the world's leading
sing shakuhachi player outside Japan. Fantastic. So I understand. So, yes. so that's that's happening in March, and that will happen. Uh, so that that will be moved quite early, uh, early into the evening. So from Ranbat maybe before six through until about uh, uh, about uh, approaching eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a sort of late afternoon, early evening affair, but. Um, really the highlight in the entire series so anyway it's all on the website so <laughs> keen that people have a look and tickets uh, they're all sitting there waiting to be gobbled up and and of course uh, people are invited to come into the garden a bit earlier and bring a picnic if they wish absolutely early so for anyone who's not been to one of these uh, events at cloud hill we keep the gardens open after five o'clock people start rolling in from four o'clock onwards and, and enjoy the gardens, have their picnic and uh, choose a spot on the theatre lawn. And the show generally begins, well, from in February, most probably round about, um, um, well, a little, uh, approaching half past six, maybe quarter past six, and it'll finish uh, approaching, um, uh, well, uh, the, um, the opera ran till half past eight, most probably a little bit before uh, half past eight. It's all, it, it's actually dependent on the weather. So of there's course. a little bit of cloud, it starts a little bit earlier. If it's bright evening, we, we start 15 minutes later. Right. And so it jumps around a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, But the main thing is come in early and uh, enjoy the garden. It's very much part of the deal. And uh, well, Absolutely. the board is uh, kind of holding up reasonably well despite... <laughs> The heat. <laughs> Some of it um, seems to we seem to have been landed with. Well, at least you're up in the hills. You're a bit better off than than some of us down in the suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah, no, no and and certainly on these evenings, that's the other thing to keep in mind. We're always about four or five degrees cooler. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. So, um, if people want to book, um, they go to the website. If they just punch in uh, Cloud Hill, it should all come up, shouldn't yeah, it, Jeremy? Yeah, punch in Cloud Hill and, and then uh, look at the events page and it's all sitting there and and um, uh, then it's all via try booking. It's all, all fairly straightforward. Wonderful. And they should be three very magical nights in the garden, I'm sure. So uh, great idea and, and well done for having such uh, wonderful artists coming into the garden. It really is I mean, there's nothing better than sitting in a twilight garden and, and listening to some really wonderful, haunting, lyrical music. Beautiful. No, the last Saturday was just absolutely tremendous. The audience went off, just bowled over. Fantastic. Okay. Well, all the best with that, Jeremy, and thanks for talking to us this morning. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Right, let's get next to uh, Jill in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Jill, are you there? No, we seem to have uh, lost Jill at the moment. Jill, if you'd like to ring back to us, um, uh, we'll see if we have uh, Michael in Gippsland. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, everyone. Yes, morning. go ahead. Yeah, um, I've called up before, and it's about the uh, problem of brown rot on peaches mm-hmm. and other stone fruit. Mm-hmm. It's nasty. <laughs> it's very nasty. nasty. It's horrible to have. Um, oh, my nectarine it's... trees at home have it, and my brother's nectarine tree has it, and it's really hard to get rid of. Well, um, I've just stumbled upon um, something organic, and it seems to work. I'm enjoying peaches. I've got 
Please tell I've me. I've got so many peaches now that I've actually been able to pick. Okay, um, so what, right, what have you found? <coughs> ripened, on, um, ripened on the tree. Uh, drum roll. Well, well, I yes, yes, yes. Go for it. Yeah, I discovered... Oh, gosh, I would really love your opinion on this. Um, potassium bicarbonate. All right. Oh. Um, it's a, similar to sodium bicarbonate, yes. which is like baking soda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, washing so um, it's oh. really, um, I'd say, in the um, non-toxic food court, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and it works. Uh, it's mixed together with um, some... Uh, uh, an oil, uh, uh, emulsified oil, mm-hmm. an emulsified vegetable oil, um, actually a botanical oil. Do you mix that up yourself or do you buy it in that kind of form, Michael? Um, I bought it. I bought it and um, I... Uh, it, uh, oh, am I allowed to say the brand? Yeah, please, we want to know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We're waiting here with bated breath. <laughs> yeah, um, eco, eco oil. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, oh, right. okay, yeah. yep. Eco and the uh, other is the um, uh, one is the eco oil and the other one's the the bicarb um, is the potassium bicarb. Yeah, right. So do you mix the potassium bicarbonate into the eco oil? Ah, well, first uh, they say um, I've got a, a five litre sprayer, so half filled. Uh, mix um, a few, well, the required amount. I'd, I'd have to go and read it on the thing. Yep. I'm sure the Listeners can find they out. They can read the uh, directions. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, uh, uh, so that is mixed with water, um, and it dissolves rather rather readily. And mm-hmm. then also, the uh, oil is mixed in afterwards, uh, 30 ml, I think it was, yeah, okay. um, of eco oil to okay. as a as a wedding agent. Uh, it's really to help the to help it stick um, to help plant. it stick. Yeah. Yeah, because. Uh, the peach is just a water repellent otherwise. Of course. Yeah. Um, yep. yep. And um, I sprayed it on those warmish sort of days. Mm. Um, and the other really great thing about it is that it can be sprayed on before or after harvest, they claim. So the organic farmers are, uh, are spraying, if, if they're using it, mm. they're spraying it any time, absolutely any time. And it just suppresses the, um, the, uh, the, the fungal. I mean... I was still getting a, a one or two here and there, and I noticed that when I sprayed it, um, it actually seemed to uh, kill the, um, the 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 rot on it, and it looked yeah, different. Right. Yeah, okay. It, it, it looked different once it was sprayed a few mm. days later, and it seemed to actually stop. That's so, really um, interesting. I, I, the only other circumstance under which I've used electric washing soda in the in the garden is to get citrus oh, to green no, up. No, no, oh, really? citrus, yes. Yeah, that's when whenever I've got whenever I've got a citrus for a client that just refuses to green up, no matter what nutrient I put on it. And you know, you'd always diagnose the problem before you try and apply the solution. Um, you know, I would I would think that it was uh, you know a certain a certain type of nutrient deficiency, and I would apply that nutrient, and and it wouldn't fix it, and I'd just be tearing my hair out. But then you apply a bit of um, washing soda in the soil, and you've kind of got to bury it in little clumps. But it, yep. it mm-hmm. greens up it yellow really citrus works. like nothing so else. A, you yeah. apply it to the soil. You do, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you that, make that's the three only or four holes around it. the drip line, yeah, yeah that's and, right. And you you drop it in and bury it, and then you water it in well. And it works, right. and it works quickly, and it makes them go the most gorgeous green. 
green colour. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So knowing that there's another use for it for treating brown rot is actually really good. Yeah, that's you know. that's mm. excellent. Oh, 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 oh. Um, I don't know if washing soda is the same as uh, as potassium bicarbonate. I think it is. Uh, it is. Yeah. 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 Is it? It is the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, oh, and, and it's also used in wine. Is it? It, it is, yeah, okay. to reduce the acidity because it's highly al- alkaline and right, it's used right. in leavening bread as well. Right. So obviously it's going to be, yeah, organic and, and fine mm. to use mm. in organic gardens. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I have heard it uh, used as a leavening agent. Yes, yes, indeed. Mm. I'm, I'm actually just looking it up now. Uh, potassium... Um, soda. Um, I saw the word soda. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's definitely I, the same product we're talking about. That's for sure. Yeah. And look, the the only other thing that I've ever used it for as well. I'm going to sound a bit fancy here, like I'm Lord of the Manor, but it, <laughs> it cleans silverware like nothing. It really does. Yeah. It's yeah. the alkalinity thing. It, it, it is. Just, yeah, it just yeah, it crap, strips yeah. all the cruddy bits off of silverware yeah. like nothing else. Yeah. And Wonderful. makes them shine really, really. Okay. Well. You are Lord of the Manor. <laughs> <laughs> so you can eat your uh, non-brown rot peaches with yeah. your nice new silverware. With my beautiful shiny silverware. Fantastic. <laughs> Well, Michael, that's great. How how come you you discovered it? What led you to try it? Oh, just that I was refusing to uh, use all of the other things. I, mm. I think there's yeah. a copper kind of uh, antifungal. Yeah, yeah the well. copper ones are horrible. So you, yeah. you you what? You just looked up brown rot, and this was one of the suggestions, was it? I I just came across it somehow when I was looking looking on the internet to control fungal diseases. Okay. Um, yeah, and and I did find I did find that. Okay, um, excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm just. Oh, it'll be lovely to hear if somebody else has got experience uh, with that. But mm. in the meantime, that's mine, and I am really uh, over the top about it. We've had great. Um, uh, we've had a bit of rain. We've had a bit of you know the, the hot days have been great for the ripening of the of the fruit. Um, and it's been great to see them there um, and sitting there uh, for the birds to get them sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> of course, they have yeah. to have their share. And and just just tell us when uh, in the in the life of the fruit did you apply it? Well, I, I applied it uh, a, a week or so ago, just when the, I was expecting all of them to start dropping because they were showing showing signs of an outbreak. Right, and I've seen them turn to mummies. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, so many years, it's um, mm. it's heartbreaking. Yep. And now I've seen them. Uh, so this is new. This is really, really great news for me. So Michael, uh, did you notice? Did you notice it on the flowers as well? Um. Oh, I had the curly leaf uh, mm-hmm. earlier in the. You know, when the tree wakes up from the dormancy. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, and there was, I have that every year. I've had the curly leaf, and then it sort of dies back a bit when the when the weather gets a little bit drier. Mm, yeah. Um, and then I get the normal leaves, but it doesn't kill the tree, and it still doesn't prevent it from fruiting. But mm. this time I did spray it um, uh, towards the end, very very much towards the end uh, when they were. Um, yeah, it uh, sounds so effective that it's 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 but it'd be worth trying to you know give it an application um, before bud burst. Yeah, um, and see if it controls the yeah. curly leaf. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it could be a really a really good idea actually because if you if you can really break that life cycle, especially with something like brown rot, yeah. you're well ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. The other thing is that you could do is uh, rake up all the dead dropped. Um, stone, fruit stone leaves, fruit, the, yep. the actual stones, and when whatever else is rotted and dropped beneath the tree mm. to get rid of any more spores that might be hanging around. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, it seems to have broken some kind of cycle. I don't seem to be as paranoid about uh, all, all <laughs> the uh, ones that are dropping on the ground and getting rid of them now that I've found this. Uh, and it also seems to help them uh, keep on the... It's like I've, I've had them on the kitchen table and I've arranged them all in line. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they seem to be uh, just holding their own there. They're, normally, they, I mean, they're still um, uh, on these uh, hotter days. They, mm. There are a few that are, that are turning to mush on the, on the kitchen table, mm. but very few. Uh, and, and I'm also quite certain that it's, uh, uh, after reading on the label, that you can spray it any time before harvest or even... Um, uh, even post-harvest. Before harvest. Yeah. And even, I, I guess, to suppress the, uh, the mould on the, on the fruit, mm. on the kitchen table, as it were. It seems to just arrest all of this problem with mould. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just very exciting. Fantastic. Okay. We're well, impressed. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for sharing that with us, Michael. <laughs> yep, thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, online we're, um, we're joined by Professor Tim Entwistle, Director and Chief Executive of Royal <laughs> Botanic Gardens Victoria. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Pam. And uh, Tim, exciting news. You've had the most wonderful, wonderful announcement for the gardens from the Victorian government this week? We have indeed. We've been given $5 million as a start to prepare for a, a new herbarium, so a new place to put our, our 1.5 million preserved plant specimens that go right back many centuries, also to create uh, a, a museum, a nature museum, to show off those specimens, to sort of re-landscape around that area to, to encourage more people to come in. So it's a What's really good about all this is it's, it's, it's the start of funding that will help protect that collection, which is really important, but also bring it out to the public for the first time and use it to get people connected to nature and science and understanding how important plants are, which is, you know, pretty exciting for us. Oh, yes. Now, the, the herbarium um, houses some amazing, truly amazing collections and there's been no space for it to be out on display for the general public. So presumably now, the, as part of this whole scheme, there will be a gallery where some of these things can rotate um, and be put out on display? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So at the moment, the, the building, has a, it's all protected. You can't go inside. It's not all that effective. It actually leaks. It doesn't look after this amazing collection, and it's, it's overcrowded. So... With the new facility, now what's interesting too is it's going to be predominantly underground. So that's, that's good for protecting ah, the collection. It yes. helps us to keep it cool and it'll be under and around the old herbarium building and there'll be areas where you'll be able to go. To, this is the, well, this is the, the plan we need to test through this money. But the, sure. you'll you'd go underground, you'd be able to get into an area where you'd see some of those collections for the first time, maybe also some of the books from our library and archives understand you know, the, those wonderful collectors that came, you know, going right back to Joseph Banks and Botany Bay and those kind of things. And then, then behind that, there'll be the, the actual collection which will be preserved and cared for. So the old herbarium building will become a, a public building. We'll make sure that's open to the public and that's where we'll put a bit of a, a museum as well. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Now, included in, 
in this uh, feasibility study is, is also looking at uh, expanding the Ian Potter Foundation Children's Garden. Yeah, so this whole area we're calling a nature and science precinct. This is an idea we, we came up with a couple of years ago. I mean, the whole, in a way, the whole gardens is nature and science precinct. Well, of course. We thought, <laughs> we thought at this end where you've got the Melbourne Observatory, you've got the herbarium, uh, this is a really well-placed area to talk about nature and science and to uh, so it connects up with the... There's an arts precinct down St Kilda Road, there's a sports precinct across the, the river. So we, we feel it's important to have it there. And then we also thought, well, we've got to make sure there's, there's, there's ways for children to connect to that. And we've got that amazing Ian Potter Foundation Children's Garden there already. So what we'll do is expand the size of that and push it sort of back a bit from where it is as well create a slightly new entrance to that next to the herbarium and also um, extend what we'd like to do is use some of that area for older children as well. We'll, we'll think about ways to have a, what, a sort of a learning centre or a way to bring more school children in as well. Wonderful, wonderful. So um, this feasibility study, um, you're looking at, uh, at it concluding uh, in November of this year? Yeah, that's right. So this... It's a feasibility study, plus it's doing some of the, the design work on how it would look. So it's a, a whole and a little bit of um, work too on checking, um, you know, sort of marketing research to make sure we've got the right plan for the area. So that's all to be completed by the end of this year, which would get us then ready to go back to government for the rest of the money, but also to some of our supporters and foundations who we know are really keen to help us and have over the years done some wonderful things. You know, groups like the Friends of the Gardens and others that have really supported us to then say, look, let, let, let's build this thing, let's ma make this, this is all part of a, a big plan for Melbourne Gardens with a few other projects and let's get that going in, in the following year if we can. Mm. Well, I know, I know our botanists uh, there at the Herbarium will be so excited because they've been um, really really <laughs> suffering under a very cramped conditions there for so long and um, it, it'll be a dream come true if, if this project can, can go ahead. Well, that's right and we've, bought, we've been lucky in the last year too to get some additional funding. Well, we may have talked about this, I'm not sure, but where we've been able to put some more horticultural staff and more scientists on. So this, this fits in really well with us expanding, if you like, and, which I think is really exciting for Melbourne to have a botanic garden that is expanding, have more staff and then be able to do, yes, <laughs> do those important things, have laboratories that, are, that actually work for them and, and then, you know, the, and that amazing collection, make sure that's preserved as well. Mm, absolutely. Now, um, we should also mention that uh, the National Herbarium also contains the seed bank and you've been doing some wonderful work um, in regards to that seed bank. One I note in particular is um, a collaboration with um, the Montreal Botanical Gardens with the extinct Toromiro tree. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we've, we've got a, 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 a seed collection in the bottom of the herbarium and it's mostly Victorian plants. So it's, there's a, about more than half, maybe nearly two-thirds of the rare plants in Victoria now in that seed bank. But we've also got other material. And one of the really interesting ones we've got there is from Easter Island. It's a Toromiro. So it's a Sephora Toromiro. Um, there's about 40, 45 or so species of, of Sephora. And this one uh, is a, it's a small tree with, with bright yellow flowers. And it's extinct now on Easter Island. So sadly, it was, when there was a lot of land clearing there. In fact, a lot of species were lost on that island. 
and it went extinct. But we got seed via Kew Gardens and other gardens that end up in Melbourne. And what's really fascinating is it turns out um, we found this out a couple of decades ago, but we had two strains, if you like, or two genetic variants of this species in Melbourne, which gave us um, more variety than perhaps anywhere else in the world. So people come to us now, like Montreal, to get some variability in the species so they can grow it, display it, show people how important it is, but also maybe put it back into East Island, which has been tried once or twice before as well. Mm. We, we, we don't hear enough stories about some of the work that happens in the herbarium, Tim. We need, I think the general public, because it's such, it's such a fascinating place. I've been very lucky to have, have been on, a, on a, an, a, a guided tour of the herbarium. And there's so many wonderful things happening in there that um, I think the public do need to know a lot more. And, and if they can eventually have access to parts of this and see parts of the collection with explanations of some of the work that's being done there, I think this is absolutely wonderful. And your idea as well of, of trying to engage... Um, Older age students, not just your, your primary school and, and, and younger, with the in Potter Foundation Children's Garden, is hopefully going to spur on a few um, scientists for the future. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be, it be wonderful? And, and look, and I always say too, if they become scientists, fantastic. If they become politicians, just as good. You know? <laughs> let's, let's, let's get people interested in plants and, and take that kind of message out. And, and uh, yeah, look, I, I think you're quite right. The only people that have seen the collection so far, those invited in, special treats. Let's make this open to the whole public so they see what's going on. Absolutely. And I must say, um, we really should thank the Victorian government for them to have the foresight and the commitment to actually put this money towards it and... Um, yeah, very, very exciting times ahead. So Yeah, look, I think that's... It's a good point to make because I think the, the support they've given to us with staffing and now this funding for this project does show that we... We have a government that understands botanic gardens, which is a good thing. That's it's great. a great thing because so often um, botanic gardens are, are the last people to ever be considered by governments. They don't, in fact, they don't consider horticulture terribly <laughs> serious as a science. It's no, well, we take it. I think we're taking for granted, aren't we? I mean, people love the gardens and all that kind of thing, but they often think, oh, look, it's, it's pretty. It'll it's a pretty, pretty place, and that's it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's it, it's wonderful news. I was very excited when I heard about it. So. Thanks so much for filling us in on it a little bit, Tim. No, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much for that. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye. And uh, you're listening then to Professor Tim Entwistle, Director and Chief Executive of Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, about this wonderful announcement by the Victoria Government that they have put across um, $5 million commitment towards a feasibility study for this new nature and science precinct in the Melbourne Gardens and uh, uh, once this uh, feasibility study has com been completed um, towards the end of this year then uh, hopefully then uh, the other funding that um, they've hinted at will also come across and this whole project can go ahead so a fantastic development for the uh, the Botanic Gardens, I yeah. think. And you make a good point, Pam, and, and Tim did as well, also about um, that I suppose horticulture isn't as highly regarded, in a sense, as things like medicine and law. And I think part of that comes down to people, they can grow plants. They think, oh, I can go out and grow a plant, whereas you can't go out and treat <laughs> someone or you shouldn't go out and treat someone for a medical ailment and, and you mm -hmm. certainly couldn't um, you know, represent someone in a court of law.
And it's also, I think that's also, um, it, it shows in, you, people are always wanting plants to be cheaper. Mm. And so much work goes into plants and into the breeding of plants and new cultivars. And, you know, it's such an incredibly scientific process to have these new and incredible varieties become available. And uh, I, I often think to myself, you know, sometimes customers come in and a plant might be $12 and it's the most beautiful looking plant. And um, people complain that it's, that it's too expensive. Yeah. And I just think so, so much work yeah. has gone into this plant and it'll probably, you know, if you look after it, last you years and years and years. And, yeah. and what can you, you, you know, you can't say that about many things. I mean, you go out and buy a, a $24 bunch of flowers and it's mm -hmm. going to last you a week, maybe a mm -hmm. week and a half. That's Good point. And, and yet you pay sixty bucks for a bunch of flowers these days. Exactly. People do it easy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I definitely think horticulture is undervalued. I totally agree with yeah. that yeah. being undervalued. It's yeah. one of those things that when you are when you are a hordo and someone finds out that you're a that you're you know you're into horticulture and it's what you do for a living. They'll always pump you for free information. <laughs> and I always James think, has started invoicing well, his friends. Oh, they have you in every walk of life, yeah, James. It does, not just horticulture. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I've got a mate who's a plumber, but when he comes over for a barbie, I don't ask him to fix the toilet for free. You know? It's like, oh, you're a plumber. There's this, there's this problem in there. Can you just go and fix that up for me? You yeah. Know? But people always try and get information out of you, you know, as much as possible. And it's one of those things as well that when you, when you do get into it to the extent that we all are, is that when someone asks a question about something and you give them an answer and, and you know, you answer it to the best of your ability, but you know that in 10 minutes' time that person is going to forget 90% of what you just told them. <laughs> you know? yeah. so they, they're, they're trying to squirrel it away and they're going to go away and they're going to try it, and da, 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 but then they forget about you know, they forget about the details and don't understand the process behind it. And because it all sounds like too much hard work Exactly anyway. right. Mm. Yeah. And they don't want that. Yeah, yeah. they want a quick solution yes, that doesn't exactly. have, you know, yeah. they, they want a one-word answer kind yeah. of thing yeah. that's going to fix all their ills. And, and it's just, the horticulture is not like that. But no discipline is like that either. Yeah. You know, Don't forget, too, that, that <coughs> our pharmaceutical drugs mm. came, originated from plants. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. right. Our, mm. our whole medicine mm. is based on, on, on plant material. Well, we were talking yeah. about uh, brown rock before. I mean, penicillin. Exactly. Classic case in point, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah, so it's, it's a very important science that is grossly underrated, mm. I think, mm. But mm. anyway. We will survive. <laughs> and we'll spread the word. That's right. Well, well done to... We'll to spread the word and huddle together and support each other. That's right. We will spread out like brown rock. <laughs> okay. We're going uh, quickly to uh, Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Oh, good morning. Uh, back to the brown rot issue. Yes. The gentleman's cure recipe contained yes. potassium bicarbonate. Yep. And your panel said that's electric soda. It is definitely not. It's that not is the same sodium thing. bicarbonate, which is a it's very sodium thing. carbonate. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It is different. Yes. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah, that was me different. who said that. So. And um, also, many times more expensive. Potassium bicarbonate is expensive. Yes, it is. Right. Okay, so so where? Sorry to be annoyed. No, 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 no. So where would you have to purchase it from, Barbara? Oh, look, from a chemist or from a chemist from health food stores. Okay, look it up on eBay. There, yeah, get everything on eBay. Everything doesn't it? It's frightening. Okay, look, thanks so much for that. Yeah, cheers, Barbara. Yeah, that was great. So sodium bicarbonate is the washing. Is the washing soda? No, sodium carbonate. Sodium carbonate. Okay. 
Bicarb soda is sodium bicarbonate. Sodium that's bicarbonate. Right. Yep. Bi- yes. Yep. yes. So sodium that's right. Is the Two more soda. atoms or something like that yep. on yep. a C. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Makes well, I'm glad we clarified that. I was a little bit disturbed that washing soda apparently is being used in wine. Although, I mean, of course, there's all sorts of things being, all sorts of weird things. But yeah, washing soda being used in wine and um, mm. and bread leavening. But obviously, it's not. Yes. It's good to hear. It's an anti. Anti-acidity we have thing, we right? have some yeah. very intelligent listeners, and it's so great to share their knowledge with us. Yeah, it's yeah. really wonderful. Yeah. yeah, and Barbara apologising for correcting us. Like, no, <laughs> no, no, we're the ones no. who are wrong. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, we, we love it. We love it. So good yeah. experts on this panel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Chloe, you've brought in a basket of absolute goodies. Yes. Are they all from your garden? Yeah, they're all from the garden. Well done. Oh, thank you. Well, (laughs) I have to admit something here. So the two varieties of tomato I brought in this morning, um, the first one, my favourite, is the mini yellow pear variety. Mm. They're so sweet and they're so cute. Just these little yeah pear-shaped tomatoes, bright yellow. Um, And the other one um, growing next to the mini pear is sweet grape. And these ones, some of them have actually split. The skin on them has split, which is due to inconsistent watering. Mm. So there's no splits on the mini pear, but there's splits on the sweet grape, and they pretty much get the same they still, <laughs> they still taste as good. They still, yeah, yeah. I just had one before. They still taste. Which fine. was closest, <laughs> Chloe? Which was closest to the washing line? The mini yellow pear is closest <laughs> to the washing line. <laughs> <laughs> We've solved the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I put in a I put in a whole um, fruit salad variety of tomatoes this year just to see mm. how they all grow yeah, and see which one's the best. Yeah, so the mini yeah. yellow pear is winning at the moment. I put in a couple of um, I put in a black Russian and black crim, um, and they're coming along nicely there. And the ox heart is a little bit slower too, but mm-hmm. they're sort of all staggered in their fruiting, which is good. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, the mini pears are all. Um, going gangbusters. And it produces one. really well, the mini pear, doesn't it? Yes. The yellow mini pear. It always any of those produces um, cherry type little tomatoes. Right. Go they crazy, do. don't they? Yes. Yeah. They're quite prolific. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, very happy with my little tomato crop this year. And, mm. um, yeah, I just love, you know, Jamie Oliver's like recipe books where he's got like bowls of tomatoes. <laughs> just sitting around. Like I'm just aiming for that. <laughs> got nothing on Chloe with her basket of tomatoes here. <laughs> And on toast, <laughs> lots of butter. It's and so yazzle, yum. Yeah, yeah, growing tomatoes is very rewarding, and it's pretty easy to do. You know, it's a good crop to start out mm. if you if you haven't done it before, or just if you've got. You know, they're good in pots. Mm. Um, yeah. I grew um, one flame, the orange tomato, this, again this year. Yeah. I first grew it maybe two years ago, and it produced brilliantly. It cropped so heavily, yeah. and I just thought, oh, it was having a good year, you know, and. After a bit of a disappointing um, tomato season at our place last year, I thought I'm going to go back to the cultivars that I know are going to work really mm-hmm. well. And Wine Flame was one of them, and it's it's covered in fruit at the moment. Oh, and great. it's got, I don't know, it's got more of a, this is going to sound weird for a tomato, but it's got almost like a Vegemite kind of flavour to it. It's got like that slight umaminess. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's something to do with the yellow, co- the, the orange colour that it yeah, goes yeah, when right. it's ripe. And it's just it's one of the most delicious eating tomatoes. Mm. And it's kind of a mid-size. It's not a cherry. It's not a big one. It's yeah. kind of, you know, golf ball size, maybe mm-hmm. in between. Yep. 
So good for sandwiches, good for toast, and all that kind of stuff as one well. Flame. One that flame. Is that J U A N N E F L A M M E? I think yeah. it's a, it's okay. a French variety. Isn't it, it is. Oh, yeah. French. Okay, yep. I was thinking Spanish. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but a gorgeous one. Yeah. 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 Nice. This year, I decided to only plant one variety of each thing because what tended to happen was I'd plant a few different <coughs> varieties, for example, of tomatoes, and then I'd get mixed up. I'd lose the labels, and I'd forget which one was which, you know, unless you're planting something obviously like a Roma or, or your cherry. So I just planted beefsteak. Okay. Yep. And uh, I was surprised. The the bushes themselves are small. Like they're probably yeah, right. no more than, I don't know, 50, 60 centimetres tall. Mm. And yet they're producing these really beautiful, big, big red tomatoes. Well, they're what they call a beefsteak tomato because mm. it's... They're meant to produce fruit that's the size where you can put them on slice the it and, yeah. and it'll well it'll sit on a hamburger it'll cover the patty or yeah. Yeah. so that's the yeah. whole idea oh, of them. Okay, yeah. oh, okay, that's good that to know. Sense. Yeah, not that I would ever have it on the steak, but yeah, no, no, but <laughs> good to know. Yeah, so but I was really surprised. I put it in the steaks and I uh, was expecting to, you know, as you do yep. over over the season, stake them more and more as mm. they as they mm. climb up and because uh, the fruit is prune heavy. off the laterals. Mm. Yeah, the fruit yeah. is really heavy and it, it's just been a lot of it's been developing on the ground we've got straw in there it just sits on the straw and mm. uh, when the currawongs leave it alone we actually <laughs> get some so <laughs> that sort of good information about whether something's bushy or not is actually is in penny and karen's tomato ah, book is they've it? gone over i haven't read through it cover to cover yeah. they've gone over so many varieties mm. it's insane and all those sort of weird bits of information that you need They're you know whether it's a bushy one or whether it one it's one that needs you know a really high stake or Etc. Mm. Oh, I yeah. should have read it before I put in <laughs> two metre tall steaks for my sixty centimetre tomatoes. I put um, before I went away over Christmas. I um, put some netting. I put four stakes around the the tomato crop and put netting just over the top. And some of them haven't hit the top of the netting, mm-hmm. and some of them have. And actually, the netting's working as a stake essentially because the plant's growing through it and it's kind of holding on to mm. the net. So mm-hmm. I haven't had to tie up <laughs> too ma- too many more tomatoes. So. Yeah, some of them have hit the net and some of them haven't. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. what did you put the net over for? To oh, just to try to keep the birds sunburn. away. Oh, the or some yeah. it would okay. work yeah. too, but yeah. mainly just to try to discourage the birds. Mm. I can. There's probably about two foot worth of space where I could crawl under the net, and the mm. net's about a meter high or yeah. so. Mm. So I can. They can get under there if they really want to. But, but they don't like it if the net's them. on top, do they? Yeah. Because they, if they, yeah, if they, it, come they wouldn't be able to see it. Yeah. Yeah, the bees still get in and out. There's been blue-banded bees flying around, and it's just on that they're front, the actually, best. Every client that I work for in the eastern suburbs, I've seen so many blue-banded bees in their garden yeah. this year. My garden in the northern suburbs, no blue-banded bee this year. Really? Yeah, mm. I haven't seen one. I haven't I'm, seen one at home. I'm out there staring at it pretty often. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely got them in my garden. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I've had them in previous years, but for some yeah. reason this summer I just haven't been getting any blue banded okay. bees in my home garden. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure what the go is there. Yep. Yeah. My mum's had a lot of blue <laughs> You guys have got them all garden. in your garden. Yeah. 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 And I was at work yesterday and I took a video actually. I'll put it on my Instagram. I might send it into Liz for the... Um, 3CR yeah, Facebook page, that. Um, flying around Liriope Muscari, the beautiful white yeah, flower. Right. We had some fresh ones come in, so the stock looks beautiful. Mm. Um, and this blue-banded bee was just buzzing around, and, and he'd 
he'd hit the, he'd buzz onto the little flowers and you'd see a puff of pollen yeah, come off. Cool. They're just and he was he was absolutely laden with pollen. Like his legs were he solid. couldn't take off. He had he had thunder thighs. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. I was just standing there watching him, filming him or her. Yeah. It was just they're the best. Isn't and, isn't it terrific watching the pollinators and seeing what they go on? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I saw a video recently that. Oh God, I don't know much about the blue banders background, but um, tomatoes and another a common vegetable that you grow are pollinated. Buzz, are buzz pollinated. pollinated. That's yeah. right. So that's a tomato right. plant that's yeah. exotic to Australia is buzz pollinated by I don't know how many buzz pollinated bees we have in Australia. One, the blue banded bee. It's bees. just okay. Yeah. Yep. I was gonna hoping you had yeah. the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Habitat guru. <laughs> um, that's really cool. It is. It there is must cool. be yeah. some sort of buzz pollinating bees in. Oh, wherever the tomato naturally South grows, South, South America. America? Yeah. 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 yeah, there must be yeah, yeah for more sure. around. Yeah, and it's that thing about buzz pollination. It's all to do with the pollen sac, that the the the, the pollen sac and and in to, to actually get inside it and to to get out and to have the ability to fertilize another flower. It needs a buzz pollinator to get in there and and basically rupture mm. that protective mm. coating right. around the yep. pollen sac. So, you, so that would be the puff of pollen. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it needs that physical action to get through that. Yeah. yeah. And they move yeah. their heads at something like 350 times oh, a second. Amazing. They're amazing. Okay. We need to get to some more callers. First up, we have uh, Jill in East Melbourne back. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. Um, the Herb Society's meeting on the 7th, Thursday, at 6 o'clock at the Big Sugar Gum Picnic Table in Burnley Gardens, near okay. the Herb Garden. Mm. Right. And uh, if it's raining, oh, let's hope it is, uh, we'll meet in <laughs> some room um, 10 in the main cream building. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. And uh, we're not having a speaker um, this time, but next month... It'll be Lavender, Lavendula, um, with Anne-Marie Manders, you know, from her Lavender, um, out, oh, a bit, bit in the northwest suburbs. So that'll be exciting. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, so we've got, uh, quite a big, quite a big program. Penny Woodward's coming about tomatoes mm. in April. Okay. So we're getting into the real herbs at the start. Yes, <laughs> excellent. Anyway, thank you. And I'll just say the address. Yes. It's 500 Yarra Boulevard, and that's Melway 45A12. And, of course, there's the tram along um, uh, Swan Street, or um, and uh, uh, it's very easy to find. Okay? Excellent. Let's hope to see people there. Okay. Thank, Good on you, um, Thanks, Bye. Jill. Bye. Right, next up we have uh, Mike in Gippsland back online. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hi. Um, I was just calling up about the difference uh, between the potassium and the sodium bicarbonate. Yes, yep. we had one of our listeners correct us up, <laughs> correct us a yeah. little earlier. Yep. Yeah, what, what was the correction again? That, um, cool. that the... Potassium bicarbonate isn't washing is it, isn't sodium. Washing soda. yeah. Sodium carbonate is washing soda. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, so uh, the, the call was just to say that there's uh, a difference between the two. Yeah. 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 yeah, we were confusing them. Yeah. Yeah, one, one is uh, based on potassium. Yeah. So there's uh, potassium and two bicarbs. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is uh, instead of potassium, there's sodium. Mm. That's right. Mm. 
and and that one works well too. That was the other thing I wanted to oh, say. Oh, so uh, sodium sodium carbonate will work as well as potassium yeah, carbonate. They, Right. They both they both are antifungal, okay. but the potassium actually works just a little bit better. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks yep, for that. That was it. Good that on you, Mike. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Just quickly, I think they you, you, they say is a natural remedy for like tinea on your feet to have a foot bath in bicarb soda, which oh, really? is sodium bicarbonate. Yes, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that I do that very often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> Okay, well, next up we have our good friend Gwen online. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Gwen. Good morning, Gwen. I've been listening to all the discussion about tomatoes, and I thought we really should mention this wonderful book that came out last year by Penny Woodward and Karen Sutherland. Yeah, Chloe just mentioned it, Gwen. Yes. Oh, you've just mentioned it, haven't you? Briefly, briefly, but we should give it some more air time. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's brilliant. Yeah, sorry, it was probably when I was going for the phone. (laughs) Probably, <laughs> but um, yeah, look, it's a it's a great book. It's very comprehensive, and check out your local library um, or your bookseller, of course. But um, it's hard to believe that all the fruits that are illustrated in colour, and you know, that they're all tomatoes. I mean, it's just fantastic. So anyway, that's all I was going to do was just mention it. And sorry, I've been repetitious. <laughs> that's all right. Gwen, did you grow any this year? Oh yes, yes, we've yep. got some growing this year. Um, um, unfortunately, well, we've got a habitat garden and the birds found our tomatoes. <laughs> so we had to put some shade cloth over them to uh, keep the birds out. So they're a little bit late in ripening, but we're up at um, Mount Hotham for January for a bit. And so um, uh, where it wasn't cold, I might just say. <laughs> I'm um, sure. But um, so some of them were slow to ripen, but that suited us because we weren't here you know, for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it's been us versus the birds, so it hasn't been the best year, but okay, we have to share sometimes. Of course, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay, thanks, Gwen. See you, Gwen. Bye. Bye. I don't know if the rest of you have noticed, but I've found the birds in my garden have been super hungry this year and they've gone for fruit um, much earlier than in other years. So mm. I found them taking stuff that is so green and unripe and, and ruining it. I'd also suggest it might be that they're super thirsty. And, and, and that is one yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, one way we can stop them eating our peaches and tomatoes is to have more put water. Put out yeah. 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 And, and you'll find that they'll go to the water bowls. Would you put bowls. the water bowls around the plants or f- in a different oh, part of the garden? It wouldn't matter, really. Yeah, okay. They'll yeah. find it. Yeah. Well, I do have, you know, I've got a you, bird you bath and I've got a few, I've, yeah. I've got a few yeah. water bowls around the garden. But they have, they have been eating, just an, as an example, raspberries off the canes yeah, right. while they're still, well, no, they're even brown before they develop mm. enough to be green. Yeah, right, right. Um, and they've, which means mm. they've just ruined that. They've, they got into my apples much earlier than any other year. What kind of birds are eating them? Oh, like na- native birds. Or? A huge variety of parrots. Parrots, parrots yeah. are okay. just <clears throat> unbelievable. I saw parrots in my apple trees this morning when I was getting tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, and the cockies got my. They always get the <clears throat> apples before they ripen, like in November. Yes, and December they they get into the apple tree. But yeah. they're the ones I can't reach, so that's okay. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've I've bagged my apples, but I was a yeah. bit slow, so I've lost half the crop this year. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but the raspberries, I mean, that, I didn't even think of trying to, that's to protect those. Yeah. Mm. And it is unfortunate. And now they're beating me, you know, <laughs> every day because raspberries at this time of the year, or we, particularly with my canes, um, they're really ripening every day. You've yeah. actually got to yeah. be picking every day. Mm. And they're just beating me. I can't yeah. get down there early oh enough. And it's, I mean, it's, I've, I've never, normally I'm having bowls and bowls of raspberries mm. each year at this time of the year. And mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, our, our veggie garden area is completely enclosed in chicken mm. wire like over the top as well. But uh, we've had a, a few incidences during the summer where uh, currawongs were getting in. Oh, oh yeah. And um, they, they, the wire in one section had split and it was under the lemon tree and we didn't notice it. And, um, yeah, they kept getting in and then you have to try and herd them out because they get yeah, in. They get even in. though they they're quite out, clever, yeah. they yeah. can't get out and they, they keep flying up. And so Ray oh. and I'd be there. He, he's coming from one end of the... Our veggie garden's quite big. I love to see about, a video of this. Yeah, it's <laughs> about 12 metres by 20 metres and raise one side and on the other side. And you can't go too fast because they freak out. You just have to take one step at a time. And yes. Yeah, at one point we had five currawongs in there all together. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> they're all out. <laughs> So that, that was interesting. But, yeah, apart from that, there's not much that, uh, although the hens, the hens haven't been eating the raspberries. I was really surprised. I thought okay. they would absolutely go for them, but they haven't gone for okay. them at all. So. Well, you the other thing I've had in my garden this year, for the first time, I've and I've still got them, a huge flock of um, grey parrots. Now, some of them, whether it's the male or the female, have got a red tuft on the top of its head. <gasps> the gang gang cockatoos? Yeah. Well, Are I've they quite dark them. grey? Um, yeah, the females are yeah, darker yeah. grey. Yeah. yeah, but I've never had them in the garden before, yeah. not as a whole big flock, mm. and they are being so destructive. They're mm. not they're not taking fruit as such. That's not what they're going for. They're just <coughs> delighting. For instance, they they got onto my um, my big pillar rose and just. Oh, three or four of them and just nipping yep. off all the silver crested. Yeah, it's like the cockies. The silver <laughs> cresteds do that yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I'm, a, used, it's I'm insane. used to the cockies coming in and yeah. doing it, but I've never seen these gang gangs yeah. come in and be so destructive. Yeah, right. It's like tip it's pruning a on an extreme <laughs> level. <laughs> it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you plant a, a vegetable garden or flower garden or whatever and especially where we are, we've got the rabbits and we've got the wallabies and occasionally we've got the deer, we've got the possum and then when you manage you think you kind of thwarted all of them and then the damn cockies come along and snip everything yeah. off. Mm. And, and I, I mean I ran out there screaming <laughs> they didn't go anywhere they're almost so tame, I got up so close, I thought Argh! <laughs> They're all just sitting in the tree going, ah. Yeah, we've got the better of you. <laughs> About six months ago, mum had two, one pair of gangang cockatoos turn up to the water, the bird bath in yes, the back garden. Yes. And they came for a couple of days for some water, and they haven't been back since. Okay. But uh, maybe send them over to North Croydon. Oh, I'd love <laughs> to. You're welcome to them. <laughs> yeah. They're cool. They're beautiful birds. Oh, they're beautiful birds. Really yes. Unbelievable. Anyway, talking about habitat gardens too, I mean, in your book I know you encourage all forms of habitat, but I have to say at the moment in my garden um, I do happen to have a nice big tiger snake and I'm not quite so partial to that one visiting the garden, but he's around. We've sat there watching him and um, he, uh, yeah. Quite long. Oh, he's about middle size, so right. we think he's a, a young male, mm. yeah. you know, yeah. 
But yeah, certainly not um, one of the cuddly creatures. That's no, true. no, but quite they're so intriguing to watch, aren't they? And they are. I, I mean, even though that they're not. Um, they're not aggressive as such unless you get up close and personal with them. Mm. They would rather retreat than... than Oh, yes, they're happy to retreat. It's only if you happen to walk around a corner and nearly tread on one. Startling them is the worst thing. Startling them is the worst thing you could do. But, um, yeah. I was uh, talking with Angus Stewart and he was saying how he opened his... He's living down in Tassie now and he opened his back door to find this metre-long tiger snake (gasps) at the the back door. Right. Pretty... Petrifying, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and probably again, they're probably looking for water. Yeah, this yeah. summer. Yeah. Do you have a pond in your garden? No, I don't. No okay. pond. But you're, you're near the water. creek, are you? Yeah, we're near the yeah. creek, and there is a so little bit of water in the creek. I went and looked the other day, so um, yeah. not much, but there is a little bit of water down mm. there. So mm. yeah. yeah, that's where the rabbits and the foxes live. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might control. They might do some. Some pest control for you. <coughs> well, I've given up on that. <laughs> yeah. no, I don't think so. I don't think so, yeah. no. And the foxes are so sick of rabbit meat that they just <laughs> ignore the rabbits. There, so yeah. I think they're hoping someone nearby will, will buy some chickens and mm. they can get a variety in their diet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the northern suburbs in Reservoir and um, the, the population of the urban foxes around our place in the last Huge. couple of years has exploded. Oh, yes. Really? To the extent where we'll see one just trying trotting down the street at 10 at night, maybe once a week. Is there something days? like wow. six yeah. for every square kilometre or something? Something, more, something like that, yeah. yeah. Some strange but figure. a noticeable noticeable increase in their population in our suburb in the last couple of years. Yeah. Mm. And we're starting mm. to see a lot more of them um, just out on the street and they're getting much more brazen. And mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the thing yeah. with foxes is we think of them as carnivores, but they're actually omnivores. Mm. And one thing I learned when I was writing the book is that they are one of the, um, the vectors, so to speak, of, of weeds around around the place. So ah. they eat a lot of seeds. <coughs> yes. Really? Uh, yeah, privet and, and all sorts of things. And they, they are the ones, or they're right. one of the ones that, that spread these spread weeds it. around the yeah. suburbs. Because mm. whenever you hear foxes getting into... Um, chicken coops, they just have fun with them and they don't really eat the no. chooks. They That's just right. destroy them and yeah. it's horrible. That's right. So they eat their yeah. omnivores. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So there you go. Okay, we've got our good friend Fermi online. Good morning, Fermi. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good morning, uh, panel. Hi, Fermi. Morning. morning. Hi. Um, I follow the other two on, on Instagram now. I've been introduced to the 21st century. Wow. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and... Um, we have to. We, nobody's mentioned congratulations to James. Oh, because I got married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes, I, I did say something about being an, you're an old romantic. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called many things, but that is not one of them. Really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Fermi. Cheers. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, I actually was ringing up because um, I um, was talking to one of our neighbours uh, up the road here who has a walnut farm. And she was saying how, because uh, I think AB might have mentioned something about watering, uh, you know, water in the, in the early morning and in the um, evening. The evening. Yep. And she was saying she now waters in the middle of the day. Right. Because the humidity created by the water tra- the evaporating actually helps the trees. And she has had much better growth on her walnut trees since she started doing this. And she said she only puts the drippers on for about half an hour. Right. But it's enough to create the humidity. And she said it's not water that's, that's going to go to the roots. 
because it's basically just mm. evaporates. Just evaporates. That's right. That's mm. right. Yeah. The air it, cooler. Yeah. So, but what it does is that creates that cooler environment. She mm. said she's um, really improved the, um, the the trees, and I'm thinking particularly for deciduous trees. Mm -hmm. And yes. we've had a lot of trouble with the um, newly planted trees this year that um, are just really struggling because of the heat, and even with mulch and um, everything underneath them, they they're still sort of struggling. So. Um, I was thinking, well, this might be something we actually have to do is provide a bit of that humidity yes. to try and uh, improve that. But, you know, where we are, uh, we're a lot different to Eltham or uh, Hill Reservoir. Oh, or yes, down there. yes. And, um, uh, and uh, the, the dry is really what we have to contend with up here. Right, right. Yes, well, that is really point. interesting. Yeah. But, um, again, um, she's using drippers. She's not trying yeah. to spray over leaves, which no, could um, no. burn the leaves. Mm. But... I can, I can imagine that. That's really fascinating. Mm. Yeah, so I thought that was, that was something new, and it's sort of counterintuitive. And, uh, it is. Against what we've been told for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years about, you know, water in the evening, water in the morning, and, uh, and that's what we tend to do is um, water during the... But, you know, she's not out there with a the hose. She just turns the Just the turns on the drippers. On. And yeah. as you say, for a different outcome as well. Yeah, for, yeah. Specifically for it to evaporate yeah. rather than to rather feed than the roots. Yeah. And, and she would do watering as well for the trees themselves. But this is just simply to um, create a, a humid environment yeah. to help the, the trees, especially the young trees, I think, to establish... Fantastic. That's, that's you learn something new every you do. day. You do. <laughs> new ways of thinking. They're lovely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that's that. That's all right. Okay. Okay, all the best for the new season. We've been missing you terribly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's Good only so much RN you can listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're well and truly back, Bernie. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks okay. a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah, now we've just got about five minutes left. James, let's get to another one of your plants. Okay, no worries. We've only covered one so I far. I know, I did bring in a few. Um, yes. God, now I have to choose which one we're going to talk about. <laughs> oh, pressure. Um, well, this was, okay, this was a new one for me this year. I've never grown it before, and it's its first year in my garden, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, it's one of the asters. Aster monk is the cultivar, M-O-N-C-H, um, and it's this beautiful kind of light purple colour. It's really only just started hitting its straps in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's, it's, you know, one of its common names is the Easter daisy. So, you know, it's definitely a late summer into autumn flowering perennial. So yep. it's good for that kind of that period where there's usually not a lot of stuff in flower in the garden. But this one definitely carries its own throughout that period. Um, and once it starts flowering, and you can kind of see it happening here with the bit that I've brought in, um, once, once it starts flowering and that flower fades... With every flower that you see that's, you know, fully fully unfurled and out and looking fantastic, once that fades, it's immediately replaced by two more okay. underneath it. So right. it actually builds and builds and builds in its mm. floriferousness. That's quite a mouthful for this time of the morning. <laughs> well done. Um, <laughs> so, look, I've, I'm really loving it, actually. That's what's one of my favourite plants in the front this year. And I always, you know, always try a new, few new things every year just to see oh, how they go. Exciting. How tall is it, James? doesn't mind the heat. Um, it's about, oh, 60 or 70 centimetres. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so not huge. It's good, you know, good kind of small, neat perennial. Um, and... I um I the, the way I tend to grow the kind of late summer and autumn flowering things is that the first 
flush of growth that they put out in the spring, I'll generally give it quite a hard cut back to get it to bush up more. Mm. And I did that with this plant um, this, year, this year as well. And it, consequently, it's just covered in flowers mm. at the moment. There's a lot of flowers on that one stem you've brought in. Yeah, that's yes. right. And yeah. there's, you know, there's hundreds, hundreds of stems in the garden mm. at the moment. So it's really, you know, a really, really good value, long flowering um, perennial. And, you know, a classic, classic daisy being an aster. Mm. Oh, yes. Mauve. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, those kind of mauves and yellows are really kind of singing in my front garden Is it at the an moment. easy variety to get hold of? I'm not sure. I've seen it in retail nurseries, to be honest. So I'm. It I, used to be around everywhere, yeah, but, it seems, but to it seems to have fallen out of favour yes, recently. It has. I'm, not, I'm not sure why, yeah. but good plant, really good plant. Yeah. yeah, really, really easy to grow. Looks fantastic. Very fantastic. Yeah. Okay, you've got time for one quick mention. Alrighty, one more. I've got. Um, Oh, just a just you know yarrows yarrows at this time of year late summer um, achillea uh, it's it's a good plant you know puts up beautiful beautiful yellow umbels about you know a metre tall um, they dance around in the breeze they look great amongst other perennials yeah for little exclamation points of yellow in front borders mm-hmm. yeah they they look great and I think they're quite insect attracting oh absolutely yes. yeah yeah they're one of the where well, they're one of the most attractive things to uh, all kinds of pollinators in the garden in mm. fact my, my nephew who's living with us now he noticed um there was, there was flies on it and he's like, What's the flies on there? What's the flies on your flowers? And I'm like, well, flies got to eat too, yeah. dude. Yeah. They like yeah. the nectar as well. It's a really <laughs> part of the flower. It's like a plate. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. That's why the insects would love it. A big, a big welcome mat for them. Yeah. 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 I'll just, and I'll just quickly say, up on the Facebook page, there's a photo of a, a xerochrysum that I put up. And in the nursery, the butterflies are going absolutely mm. nuts. So for all of the xerochrysums yeah, at the moment, great yeah, if you want to bring yeah, butterflies in, get some xerochrysums in. And I've got them all around my buddlier, of course, uh, which is yeah. beautiful. Very um, <laughs> butterfly attractive. Mm. Yes. Um, I should quickly mention we've, we've been talking about um, our Facebook page. If, you, if you're not used to looking it up, we do try and put photos of what we're talking about up on our Facebook page. Just simply um, sign into Facebook, type in uh, 3CR Gardening Show, and it should all come up. And Liz, I know over this uh, Christmas New Year break, was going to look at setting us up with an Instagram uh, account as well. So uh, when I catch up with Liz, I'll find out if we've got that up and running as well for our listeners. So um, well, she does a fantastic yeah, job she getting does. up early she every really Sunday does, to do which our photos. Is absolutely great. We've run out of time for our first uh, Sunday back. Um, we've loved being back. We will be back every week, every Sunday. So do remember to tune in. Uh, 7.30 until 9.15 each week. A big thank you to Liz and Doug who've been handling all the phones for us this morning. Um, Until next uh, Sunday at 7.30, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.